You're listening to The Voice of Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. Today's guest is an executive with a big job to do. The broad market turn, driving improved performance, tidying up back years and dealing with COVID-19 are enough for most executives. But on top of all that, this new leader's company has had the fallout from an acrimonious public dispute with an activist investor to deal with. As part of Argo Group's new management team, Chief Underwriting Officer Tim Carter has a lot on his plate. Yet he's unfazed. In this encounter, I found someone really calm, easygoing, and infectiously optimistic. He's also a rare combination. An actuary who is an excellent communicator, and someone who comes across as a strong people person. The next 20 minutes should leave you in little doubt that Argo is going to refocus on its core niches in specialty, where it can produce the best growth and underwriting results. Stay tuned for all the details from Tim. Before we get started, I'm here with Rick Lindsay, Chairman of Prime Holdings and the CEO of Claims Direct Access, who have kindly supported this podcast. Rick, first, thanks so much for your support. Why don't you briefly tell us about the Prime Group and CDA and what they could do for our listeners? Sure. Prime Holdings is a holding company, and we're excited to expand our claims TPA service, Claims Direct Access, which is the exclusive claims manager for Prime Insurance Company and has managed claims for Lloyd's since 1995 when we've been on the Lloyd's line slip as a risk taker. So we plan on coming over to London and uh, hopefully providing our partners more flexibility where we can issue prime paper where necessary. We can support and take risk on the Lloyd's line slip and offer our superior claim service, which is evidenced by Prime's own loss ratio for the past 10 years. I believe that claims is the key to success in our business. That's really the only thing we do that adds value. Obviously, you can be a good underwriter, and if the claims falls apart, the underwriting's a waste of time. If you're a good underwriter, you need to balance the scale with good claims. So again, we're excited to bring superior claim service to the Lloyd's marketplace and offer the ability to share risk alongside them as we manage the claims. Well, thanks so much, Rick. And I'll make sure there are all the right links in the podcast notes and let's get on with the podcast. Okay, Tim, what's your vision for what is now a new era at Argo? The first thing to say is I've been there since October and I don't think uh, I had any sense that I'd be talking to you less than a year later from my son's bedroom because the world had changed so fundamentally. So yeah, it's been a crazy ride. There's been a lot of change and it's not just external. If you look at the Argo journey that I've been on, we've had a change of CEO, we've had the SEC investigation, we've had some reserve strength thing going on. So, you know, it's been a year of all sorts of things going on. And it's a, bit, a little bit like uh, working from home. It's a good chance to stand back now and say, okay, what next? Because we've navigated the challenges that have come at us. So what's the future for Argo? When I made the decision to join, it was looking at the underlying specialty business. It's a very strong core specialty franchise that was growing and making money. So that's the bit that I'm really excited about. And I think now it's a chance to go back to the bit that was exciting now that the world has settled down. And I think that's, you know, that's true. For many of us, whether it's the COVID pressures or the, the pressures at work. You think it is about really getting some focus back for Argo that had it been perhaps spread a little bit too thinly before? I think at our core, we're a specialty insurance company and that's a great place to be. You're doing the difficult stuff well, you can make money and, and add value for your partners. So I think you know, getting back to that core is great. And it, it kind of applies to some of the homeworking as well, because you know, we're talking about going back better. I think we found through adversity that there are better ways to work and you don't always need to be in the office. So I think just generally, it's kind of how do you make the future better rather than uh, celebrating a return to the normal? Is it right to say that 
the core Argo group really would be a specialty business. That, so that would include specialty from, through Lloyd's in Bermuda and in the US excess and surplus lines market. Would that be core? We're a US uh, specialty business and we've got a great franchise. So I mean, that's something that excited me because we, you know, we can access through the US, through Bermuda and through Lloyd's. As we look today, 80% of our business are US risks, but we don't access it all through the US. But that's definitely the place where we see the opportunity going forward, both in the segments we're in and in the businesses we've got and also new segments. Within specialty, you have a broad range of specialisms, don't you? So where do you think the best bits of that are at the moment? Yeah, I think there's no doubt it's hardening. I, you know, that's where we are. It's, it's happening. It's real across lines of business, across geographies, rates and terms. But it's definitely, you know, an orderly market. So there's opportunity across the board. I think the great thing for Argo, if you look at the US business, our, our combined over the last six years has been 91. So in, in the difficult years, we were, we were booking a 91 combined ratio whilst growing double-digit growth. So there's a, an opportunity across the board to, to double down and actually drive rate and terms into businesses that were already working well. But also there's opportunities to do new things. You know, that's the exciting thing about specialty. It's a niche business and you can find niches and, and, and expert teams that can help you grow that. So generally, it's right to say that I suppose you're strong there because you are important within those niches. You've got defensible and strong positions within each niche, and you're looking to either reinforce those or find niches in in sub-segments of those same niches or ones that are close by. Yes, you're bringing an underwriting expertise, claims expertise, risk management, something that's valued by your partners. Um, And, you know, they need you. There's a need for you in that market, and that's that's where you can make money. And by doing that in niches, we're also diversified. Because part of Argo's history in the US has been growing the things that are great and pulling back or, you know, quite funny, better homes for things that aren't so good. Um, the Trident business was one example. It had a better home than Argo, and that's okay. So you're managing a portfolio of niches, and you've got to make sure in that niche you've got real expertise and, you know, something that differentiates. So any specifics that you're particularly looking at the moment thinking, I'd love to get into that niche if I could find a way of making sure I had a meaningful play in that niche and I was required by the brokers and by my clients in that space? Yeah, for sure. And I'd, I'd say the energizing thing for me about Argo, it's, it's a nimble business. So, you know, we can move. So it's, it's not a great global multinational that, you know, has a plan and, and delivers on that plan. So there's some flexibility there. And there's no doubt there's headroom in our existing businesses. So Q2, we, we grew 6%. So, you know, in a world where the economy shut down, where times were tough, we, we were still growing and growing in challenging areas, in you know, surety, construction areas that have really been hit hard. We're still finding a way to grow the business. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't diminish the runway in the existing business. But we're looking at things like the healthcare sector, ocean marine, there's technology, there are areas where with the right team and the right leadership, you can get in and, and be meaningful to your distribution partners. And how much of that growth that you've had, has that been down to rate increases and how much is it down to actually just finding new customers doing more business? This is obviously before my time, but if you look at the, the momentum that's in the US business, it's primarily growth. I mean, you know, now we're getting rate increases on top. But if you look over the last six years where the growth's been double digits, you know, 11%, it's about finding new customers, new policies. Um, and, you know, one of the measures we look at is the amount of premium we're, we're writing per underwriter as well. So, you know, are we, are we being more efficient while we make that growth? And that's another compelling measure to drive. Another way of growing, of course, is just to retain more of what you're doing. Are you happy with the rate adequacy of that book? And would you be happier to retain more of it now that reinsurance costs are also going up at the same time? I think there are two questions. There. The first one is, is this one about, you know, reserving, because there's this sense of social inflation, reserve strengthening, you know, there's just a general topic there that's for sure it's real because you see it coming through. So one of the things we did at Argo is we got an external review of our reserve, because we all know this is a self-marked exam, you know, and, and actually, if you haven't got the right numbers in your old years, you're not getting your pricing right in the current year. 
that's a big deal. So we, we had that done. People are in different places, and there's no doubt there is an issue there about reserving. But, but having had that review, we're feeling that we, you know, we know where we are and, and the platform we're building from. And then the second part of the question is, okay, so for the US business, 91% combined, we, we're making money and we're getting terms. So how do we navigate the reinsurance world? I think thoughtfully is the answer, because there's, there's no doubt that the reinsurers are looking to get more rate and they need it for reasons, you know, whether it's investment returns or some of the losses, but we need to work with them as partners and actually find the right balance because there's not one size fits all. I think the summary of, of everything we're talking about today is it's a great time to be an underwriter because you've got the ability to make choices and actually to outperform by making the right choices. What you were talking about with the social inflation, are we just, by jacking up rates now, are we just simply keeping up, are we just running to stand still in some senses? If the social inflation is continuing, and it's, that is also social inflation compounding on social inflation year on year, is this rate rise not really a rate rise? Is it making our rates any more adequate than they were last year? I think that's the key conversation, and it varies by line of business. Because if you're feeling that you've got rate adequacy and it's, it's about being able to get additional rate on top of a profitable business, that's one case. But if you're looking at a business that's clearly underwater and actually is going backwards, then that, that's a different one. So as ever, it, it, it varies. I think there's a very live conversation about social inflation in the US. It, there's no doubt that claims go up every year. So is it that there's an acceleration there? And in the environment we're in today, society has changed. Or, or is it about the recognition of, of that inflation that, that's always been there, but actually, you know, in the world of a self-month exam, the actually looks at the triangle and when the, the past years have been favorable, you tend to project that forward and then it changes. So I'm not sure if it's a timing issue or a societal issue, but it's very real in some lines. And those lines still haven't got rate adequacy and you know, need to be driven further. But in other places, it's not that they're in a more favorable place. Well, Tim, you're in this rebuilding phase and you've been able to get your house in order at this time. As a wider industry, do you feel there's still more to come or are there plenty of other people with self-graded exams who really are going to have a bit of a shock when the external examiner comes to see them? Or do you think some of that has actually been a bit overblown? I don't know. I'd like to just like to have your, your feeling on that. And obviously, I know you've got an actuarial background, so I'm sure you look at the, look at the triangles. It's a great question. I mean, if I could answer it, then, you know, I'd, <laughs> I'd be in a very good place. I, I know in our, in our world, having had the external review, it gives us comfort. I think everybody's having that internal conversation you know, with the external parties and their actuaries, you know, where, where are we? If you think about the triangles, and as you say, I am, a, I am a reformed actuary, that's in my background, it's really tricky to work through because if you think about the world we're in, often the claims frequency has changed fundamentally this year. And, you know, sometimes that's up, sometimes that's down. But the way it's changed, you know for sure there's a different mix of claims going on. You also know if it's gone down, your claims people are actually getting at the claims faster. And I think we've all seen this. When you work from home, you get an awful lot done. You know, it's lonely. There's things that aren't so good, but you bang through the work. So, when you're looking at that triangle, the world's changed. The, the lawyers in America can't get court dates, so maybe they're more, more amenable to talking to you than they were six, nine months ago to get a settlement. So I think the only thing that's certain is it, the world is different, and actually getting the right call on that is huge because obviously it drives the right outcome in a market that's offering opportunity. But also, you know, you, you've got to make sure that you, you know where you're starting from when you chase the opportunity. Well, Tim, but given your actuarial background, I might as well ask you what's probably a slightly philosophical question in terms of actuaries jobs probably to look at all the back years and then to try and work out how they're going to do and then project that forwards into the future these days the rate of change in the world seems to be accelerating all the time does that back year data get irrelevant very quickly these days and do we have to find some other way of working to be able to try and project forwards certainly data is key you know and Argo's made a big commitment to invest in digital we all need to have data because if you think about insurance it's a promise and you make a promise and you collect some data and then, and then to fulfill that promise, you generally use a third party. So it really is all about the data. So you have to have it, but then 
interpreting is key. You know, that's where underwriting comes in. That judgment, that leadership is key. I, I started out as a personalized actuary. So, you know, I was working as a consultant alongside companies like Direct Line when they started up. So, you know, those worlds have moved to a very data-driven, data-rich world. But if you look at the specialty world we're playing in the US, you know, we're doing the difficult risks and the diverse coverage. And it's very much a judgment play. You know, you need the data to make good calls, but then you absolutely need to overlay that underwriting judgment. And you have so many fewer data points, don't you, as well? That's right. That's right. There's so many less oil rigs than there are cars. Yeah, that's right. And the coverage is different. So, you know, people, you know, coverage is, whether it's in the the hard market or, you know, the results, the coverage is not in the triangle. And that's a huge issue. So, you know, it's a fun place to be. If you're an underwriter, it's where you can make money and outperform. Argo's in in the US and Bermuda and in Lloyd's. You've worked in all those markets. So where would you like to put your dollars today? I mean, which one of those markets has got the best opportunity at the moment, do you feel? Yeah, it's a good question because they've all got distinct cultures and strengths. And, you know, I've been in the US for 13 years now. And the bit I miss about the Bermuda or the Lloyd's market is that intimacy of people. There's a scale and a vibrancy there, which it's hard to get that in this current environment. But that's the thing that, you know, is unique. So each of the markets is bringing something different. I think that, as ever, the, the proof will be when we look back at the opportunities in this hard market and see who made the most of them. And if you're new capital looking to come in and, and support the startup, you know, are you going to Bermuda? Are you going to Lloyd's? Or are you, are you going to go and do it you know, on the ground in the US? And I think we can see people planning to do all three. So I think the results will tell, but they've all, they've all got unique capabilities that give them the chance to thrive. We just have to make sure, you know, whichever market we're in, that we optimize those and make the most of, of what we've got in front of us. Looking to London, we've had a lot of reform going on in London the last 18 months, lots of interesting projects and things happening. So which bits of the Lloyd's blueprint have most piqued your interest? Yeah, I think Lloyd's has been having the right conversations and they've got the right people there to have them. And I think we can all see that the opportunities and the challenges that need to be addressed. I think as an underwriter, just the the high level thought about the business there is we can get the loss ratio right because there are great underwriters and there's a flow of business. The expenses have to be right too. I know Lloyd's is on that, but you know, that's the big issue to, you know, to us and also I think for the market, getting that solved. I think, Do you think the loss ratios, as long as the loss ratio is right, then you don't have to worry quite so much about everything else? No, I, I think the expenses in the Lloyd's market are, you know, they need to be better. You can't paper that over with the loss ratios. That's definitely a big issue. And then, of course, as you try and get more uniformity in the market, the bit that I really enjoyed in Lloyd's was the entrepreneurialism, the speed where great underwriters can build a book. We can't lose that because that's, you know, that's a huge strength of the Lloyd's market. And then, you know, you, you've also got the other discussions around equity going on and fairness. And there's other issues in Lloyd's, cultural issues that, again, are, the right conversations are happening, but they have to move as well to a better place. One of those entrepreneurial initiatives at Lloyd's is the Syndicate in a Box initiative. Other players have been starting to experiment with using it, larger, more incumbent players like yourselves, to have a go with something different. Is it a temptation for you to use it as a sort of sandbox to go and do something new and see what happens? I get the opportunity. There's no doubt that not everybody can be a lead underwriter. There's too much cost and friction involved. And actually, you know, this allows you to access the great underwriters and get behind them. So it's absolutely the right thing to be looking at. It's not Frago right now, really, because of our specialty insurance focus. And as we talk about the opportunities we can see in our existing businesses and new sectors, we can see the path ahead for ourselves. But that's not to say that the syndicate in a box is, is a great idea and it's going to work for some people very well, I'm sure. You mentioned before about data and about the investments that Argus made in data. But actually, I read in a recent article that you wrote that data analytics would never replace the skill of underwriting. Can you go into a bit more detail about what you really mean by that? I mean, we touched on that earlier, that if you're in the personal line space, 
apologize if I'm using Americanisms. I've been here for 13 years, so I picked them up for my kids. It's okay, we've got an international audience. That's great because, you know, there are more differences than you realize, and that's part of the fun. The personalized space, data is king, marketing is king. You know, you can see people like Lemonade starting up and saying, hey, this can be different, just like Direct Line did in the UK or Progressive did in the US. But I think we touched on this. There are segments of the market where the coverage is distinct, and where the, the, the data is not credible, the severity is low, and those are the areas where you're going to need an underwriter. And we can debate where the boundary is because, you know, the boundary will move as the data gets better. But yeah, I, I strongly believe there's a segment of the market where that judgment and that skill is highly impactful. It's, it's essential. And do you think that's more, it's far more so in specialty than anywhere else? Yeah, by definition, we're investing in expertise that maybe you, know, you can't afford to spend in the, the middle market or the small end of the sector. So yes, it's a different play. You're, you're providing expertise and bespoke coverages, um, not, not a standardized low-cost model. You mentioned Lemonade. So it's had a pretty spectacular IPO, and I bet everybody who owns shares in other publicly traded insurance companies wish that they would be trading on the same multiples that Lemonade have managed to trade to in the, in, in the last few weeks. What, what can we learn from Lemonade so far? It's interesting, isn't it? It's just been a huge success. I think that the big takeaway for us is investment in technology matters. And we talked about digital internally, you know, and invested in it as, as a thing that matters. And it just reaffirms it really does. The world is changing. You have to look forward and look to where, where the world's heading. That said, that the big wins we're getting through our digital work is much more in transforming the business away from where we started. So enabling our di- distribution partners to get things done quickly, faster to do it themselves, to take out pain points for our own underwriters so they can focus on the work they need to be doing. So I think digital is hugely exciting. And, you know, there's the the completely transformational end of that spectrum. But there's also things that are transformational by sorting out some of the mess of the past. We touched on, you know, Lloyd's ability to do that. So there's a whole spectrum there of digital. And, you know, there's no doubt it's going to drive the winners in our business going forward. So things like almost allowing brokers to have a lot of self-service for more commodity-style business and using things like underwriting tools that are triaging opportunities for underwriters and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm a, a broker and somebody can give me the ability to get things done straight away, to actually to make a bespoke solution and actually to do it with certainty and minimal effort, that's really compelling. And of course, the price matters as well, but actually the consistency and the quality of what we do is also important. And then internally, our underwriters, we've said underwriters are key, they spend far too much of their time rekeying data and following processes. So actually freeing them up to do the added value work is tremendously powerful. And you can really increase their productivity, I presume. Yeah, that's right. They can get some more, and that's growth. You know, that's a growth lever. You know, that's not an expense lever. You know, there aren't enough great underwriters. So how do you you allow them to do more? Another thing on the tech side, we've had Tesla, another great technology company, another great public technology company with fantastic valuation, getting into insurance. Is this something, have we got something to fear from that? Or is it something we should be really learning from? Definitely something to learn from. Transformation is, is exciting. I, I was quite taken because Elon Musk has gone on record saying he wants revolutionary actors. And I, I yes. think that's not, not about their political views. I think, I think that's about their, their open-mindedness to doing things differently. And I would say, you know, Argo, we want revolutionary actors and underwriters. We want people who think differently and find solutions. So I, I think it gives a momentum, which is very positive. And transformation is exciting because you're getting a better solution. So I think people, people who are energized by that are exactly the people we need in our industry. You mentioned this before about the other changes in the London market, and I think you were alluding to the cultural change and the culture survey and cultural attitude survey. And obviously, within our business in the last five years, we've had first the, the Me Too and then the, now the BLM movement. And this seems to have fundamentally reset the 
insurance market's attitudes to its own conduct and diversity inclusion issues. So now as a business leader, how are you going to take inspiration from this and carry this forward into your own business and the wider market? Yeah, no, that's an important topic. I think you know, equality and diversity really matter, not just because they're the right thing to do, they actually are good for the business too. So they, they really matter. I think the consistent theme is that actions speak louder than words. So we actually have to get things done and be seen to get things done. I was quite taken, John Doyle, who I used to work for, um, he's now at Marsh, he talked about taking a robust action. You know, this could be our generation's legacy, you know, just looking at it as a big opportunity to do things better. I think that's it. We need to take action. But the way we've been uh, addressing that within Argo is we had an employee forum where we had an online session, and that's the world we're in. You have to do things online, where we got some external speakers to talk about their experiences, you know, what they'd seen, you know, about inequity and racism. Tremendously well attended across the board. People wanted to be there for the conversation. We had an awful lot of questions set up and answered in that, and just an energy there to help get to a better place. So probably the key driver for us is we've got employee resource groups. So we said, okay, we've had the conversation. Who's got an energy to get to a better place? Because management can't solve this. It can't be a top-down fix. It's a cultural fix. I've been really, really pleased with the responses. A lot of our employees have put their hand up and said, yeah, I want to be part of this. And I want to be part of defining how we can make the world a better place, get to a better place. So that's how we're handling it. And I think you know, there's a huge opportunity there. You know, it's not just about doing the right thing. Um, it is actually great for the business as well. So that's the journey I think many of us are on. So it's much more bottom up with you. So you, really, you're you, you seeing your job is to sort of make sure that people have those conversations. And when they come and ask you, they say, we've decided we'd really like this to happen. Your job is more or less to say yes, rather than perhaps hire a load of consultants and do it all top down the other way around. Yeah, I mean, we, we have got a diversity inclusion committee because it is a, you know, it's a management responsibility. But actually, if there's an energy there for people to come and, and help get to a better place, then enabling and empowering them is a tremendous tool to use. What do you think the first specific actions are likely to be? I don't know, to be honest, in terms of from, from the ground up view. I think all of us need to be very careful about recruitment of talent, whether it's at a senior level or a junior level, to make sure that we look at a diverse slate of candidates. And we're not actually just recruiting people we know who are like us. So that's a very real, tangible thing today. But I, I do think there's, there's other levers there. And I think, you know, the best place people to pull those are the people who are closer to the reality who can help us guide the journey. So we'll have to watch this space and we'll check in with you and see some of the things that are happening over the next six to 12 months, that kind of thing. Yeah, because it is all action speak louder than words. Yeah, you know, it's about moving to a better place. Yeah, not, not just having the conversation. Well, Tim, thanks so much for your time. I wondered if there's anything, is there any sort of parting words that you've got that want to sum up what's happening at Argo, where it's fitting in with the market and what you're up to? It seems that we've got through everything very, very quickly. You're fantastically concise. Uh, <laughs> That's probably because I'm an actuary. I'm better with numbers than words. But <laughs> yes, I think, I think it's just that sense for Argo and, and probably the market of looking forward. So whether it's working from home and, and you know, COVID, how do we move forward? You know, whether it's about diversity and equality, how do we move to a better place? And also, we're in a tough market. How do we move through that? And, you know, moving through it with our distributors as well. But, but it's there and it's real and it's tangible. And I think we can see that it, it's growing. We're getting rate on top of rate. The momentum is increasing. So how do we get through that together? And that's an exciting world to be in. And what would you want people to, if they want to associate Argo with one thing, what would you want them to associate it with? We're a great specialty company. We do the hard things really well. We provide solutions to our customers and our distributors that they need and they value. And by doing that, we make money and we grow. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Thanks so much for your time. You must be incredibly busy. It's, it's, a, it's a hell of a time at the moment. So thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you and I'd really love to have you back on the podcast soon. That, that sounds great. No, I appreciate your time, Mark. Thanks very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, 
don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Thanks for listening. And once again, big thanks to today's supporter, Claims Direct Access. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.